Burt deep out in left center. Tavares pulled over into a right center. Lane pacing in his right field position. Albert digs back in. Open stance, deep in the box. Bends at the uh, knee. Holds it down on the end. League is ready. With two on and two out, his 0-1 pitch. It's coming. Swing and a long one. There it is, baby. The Cardinals take the lead as Albert Pujols comes through in the pit. And the Redbirds lead this baby 5-4. to What'd I tell you, folks? David Eckstein, the man. This could be a crushing blow, a crushing blow to the Houston club. Albert Pujols, you talk about a most valuable player. How is that? Woo! That thing left the ballpark in a hurry. A three-run home run, and the Cardinals lead 5-4. Good evening, and welcome into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptoff, C70 at the bat. With me, David Jones from iPop, editor on the Twitters. I'm on C70 on the Twitters. I think I have to skip that part somehow. Um, coming to you tonight, Sunday night, normal Sunday night, and there's a lot to talk about. But as you noticed, as we started the show a little differently uh, today, instead of our normal music, uh, Mike Shannon passes away at 83, passed away late Saturday night. News came out um, a little bit before game time today. Um, dude, obviously, this is a huge thing in Cardinal Nation because that is the that has been. He was the soundtrack of this uh you know radio f- and summer for so long and, and that's not even to taking into account his his playing time with the cardinals and the legend that he was coming you know being a you know st louis kid um it's i don't think it's unexpected but it's still a difficult thing to have to deal with yeah i think you know they showed him at the game a couple weeks ago and it was good to see him good to see him out um you know, not much has been said about his health lately, but we, I think we've kind of known it hasn't been great, but still, even so hearing this, it's, it's just kind of a, a somber thing uh, because Mike Shannon, he was the Cardinals. I mean, like you said, St. Louis kid played for the team two years later, he's in the booth and then he's in the booth for a long time for 50 years. This is the guy that I grew up listening to Um, growing up. I didn't have cable and this is when games were, on KPLR sometimes, but you know, maybe once or twice a week. So I spent a lot of my time listening to KMOX. I would fall asleep as a kid listening to KMOX. Um, you know, if it was past my bedtime, my dad would say, you can't watch the game, but you can listen to it. So it was Jack Buck. It was Mike Shannon. It just my entire life. He has been the voice of the Cardinals. He has been the Cardinals. And so very sad to hear this news today. Yeah, um, I had not. I did not realize until discussion um, on Twitter today that he had been at the ballpark recently. Um, but you know, he wasn't at opening day. Um, never really heard much about him, and so I, I, it kind of felt like maybe this was was coming. It just, I know COVID did such a number on him. I mean, he's been. You know, he was quoted as saying he didn't necessarily expect to survive that. And I know he broadcast in 21 um, after, or yeah, I guess it was 21 when he, um, after COVID, but he just didn't sound the same. I mean, he just didn't have that energy and I'm not sure he ever just fully recovered from that. I I feel like that probably took a number of years from him um, just, just dealing with it. But, you know, 
as his son said, he squeezed every bit of, of juice he could out of life. There, there's no doubt about that. Mike Shannon was a, a personality, a, a, you know, larger than life to some degree. Um, even if he didn't necessarily have the greatest, um, relationship with the English language, um, <laughs> or at least, uh, you know, there is a website, shannonisms.com. You can find all those great, great quotes from, from Mike Shannon, who, who had an interesting grasp on things. Um, I know when I was, you know, I, I've never, I've, I've have listened to the radio, but it's never been like the, the main thing for me because, I just never necessarily had a chance to. I mean, we didn't have the games either, but it was really a lot of what I did growing up called following the Cardinals was, you know, reading box scores and seeing the scores, you know, seeing it on the late news or something. But as I got older and we got here and, you know, I'd be driving around town and I would put the Cardinal game on because I'm you know running errands and I'm trying to keep up with the game. And it was amazing how long, I would have to drive before I figured out what actually was happening in the game. Right. I mean, that it's like, what's the score? I don't know. It's been two innings. I still don't know what the score is, but, and so that got me frustrated a while, but after you get to the point where, you know, especially now you can check the score on your phone to be able to just listen to Mike Shannon, tell stories and cackle and all that kind of stuff. There was something special about that. And, I don't know. I don't know how Mike Shannon would do in this day and age of, of pitch clocks and stuff like that, because I think that's the kind of stuff that we miss as the game speeds up. And, you know, we're so focused on getting it over with that. There's not that dead time to tell those stories now, granted. And I know um, the guys at Cardinals off day have kind of talked about this, that, you know, that also led to a lot of times where announcers could just, you know, get on soapboxes or, or things like that. But, you know, when they're telling stories, when they're talking about Bob Gibson, when they're talking about Stan Musial, when they're talking about some crazy night in New York 15 years ago or something like that, I think those are the things that we really appreciate. And, you know, less airtime does mean less of being able to do that, I think. Yeah, and I think one thing that we had with Mike Shannon that we're never going to see again is he knew how to embrace silence sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like you said, sometimes you weren't sure if the radio was working correctly. (laughs) But today, a lot of announcers feel like they have to fill every free second with words. And with him, sometimes he just, it was kind of like, you know, sit back and enjoy the baseball game with me. Um, I think it's one of those things probably... um, he had more honor in his hometown than other places. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there were some other people going, what in the world is this guy talking about? But if you were a Cardinals fan, and you grew up with it. You knew this is the voice of the Cardinals. This is how he does it. Uh, I mean, the guy just, he bled Cardinal red. I mean, just, to, you know, if, if anyone's ever read the book, October, 1964, you get a glimpse both at his personality and also what he brought to the world series win against the Yankees. Just, beautiful story you know what he did um his his legendary home run but i mean right after his playing career ends he jumps in the booth his first year 1972 he's calling games pitched by bob gibson uh joe torrey's playing for that team dal maxville uh you know you've got guys born in the 1930s and he's calling their games you jump forward He's calling Dylan Carlson, born in 1998. He's calling his games. You see such this this huge stretch. You know, it kind of reminds me of like Vince Scully, how he would call 
Um, he called games for Jackie Robinson and also Cody Bellinger, just right. kind of crazy. Right. Mike Shannon did very similar things with the Cardinals. Um, but for him, he played with these Hall of Famers, and then he was calling their games just like two years later. Um, you, you know, there's so many Mike Shannonisms out there. I'm sure everyone has their favorite. And I was thinking about it today, like everybody has their Stan Musial story in St. Louis. Uh, mm-hmm. I have one, you know, because of family run-ins. Uh, every, I have a Jack Buck story, but I was thinking I don't really have a Mike Shannon story. And yet at the same time, I feel like I have a hundred of them because of things that he would say on the radio or just because you kind of felt like, you know, that was family, that was family up in the booth and uh, you were a part of what he was doing. And so he will be missed. His voice has already been missed. Uh, His sense of humor will definitely be missed. Um, Just the random crazy things he said that kind of have lived on, you know, kind of Yogi Berra-esque. Um, although Mike Shannon did say these things, uh, <laughs> those things are going to be missed too. It, it feels like a piece of the Cardinals legacy has died today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and I know Jeff Jones put out just a little bit ago that, you know, that famous sports illustrated cover of, you know, the five guys sitting in front of their lockers with the, you know, sweaters on and stuff like that. And he realized, you know, pointed out all five of those guys are gone now. And, um, you know, we've lost a lot of significant cardinal legends in the last you know year year and a half right um and this is just another one of those uh it's it is a bit of an end of an era um you know it was sad enough when he you know stepped away from the radio um after the 2021 season um you know i haven't listened to ricky much but it's definitely it had to be a downgrade right i mean no no matter who you put in that spot it was going to be very hard to live up to the to the legend that was mike shannon um and so yeah it's it's incredible um you know i found some clips on youtube tonight we got some we're gonna drop them here and there in the show as we talk so um because i think that you know that is that is how Cardinal history is, is going to be told. I mean, the last, you know, 50 years, that's a, for, even for a, an organization that has been around forever and has had so much success. I mean, he was on the radio for 50 years. He called or was color man with Jack Buck on so many significant moments in Cardinal history that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And yeah, you hate to, you hate to see it have to come to an end, um, even though it had to. Yeah, you know, I was thinking today, Mother's Day is in two weeks, and I, I couldn't mm-hmm. help but think of his his quote where he said, "Happy Mother's Day to all the, or happy Mother's Day, happy birthday to all the mothers out there." Yeah, yeah. just that's, I love that. That's just that's that's Mike Shannon for you. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, it's we're in a day and age where it's unlikely for anybody to hold their job longer than five or six years for any organization doing anything. So to have that longevity is just incredible. I mean, you know, you hear things like go crazy folks go crazy. And you're like, yeah, that's Jack Buck. Well, you're get up, baby, get up that, you know, that's Mike Shannon begging that ball to get over the fence. You just, you know, that voice when it, when you hear it, you immediately are brought to a certain place, certain memories, uh, whether you were at the ballpark and somebody had their radio out or whether you're driving in your car or whether you decided to listen to the radio at home, whether than watch, rather than watch TV, um, hearing his voice can always take you back to memories from 
past times, past better times as well. But um, yeah, it, it that's a voice that's definitely going to be missed. And it, it just feels like, like you said, you know, we've lost Gibby, we've lost Brock, we've lost Jack Buck. Um, this one, this one is a, is a painful one for, for the Cardinal legacy, for the Cardinal way. And he definitely will be missed, but he's one of those guys, his voice will live on forever. Here rolling. He could give the Cardinals the lead. The pitch to him. Swing and get up, baby. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Home run. Rowland has just given the Cardinals a 4-2 lead. He smoked it off of the McBride and home builders sign down the left field corner. Listen, listen to Cardinal Nation. So that brings us probably into a not so subtle transition. We talked about the 50 years of Mike Shannon. That brings us to the 50 years it's been since the Cardinals have been this bad. And that's the um, show for tonight. Good night, everybody. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to play Shannon clips the rest of the way. <laughs> I, I think people would appreciate that much more than what we're going to have to talk about now. You know, we wanted the card. I, I said on Twitter, I thought the Cardinals should hit a couple of home runs today. So that the announcers could do a little bit of that. Get up, baby. Um, Cardinals, of course, did not uh, accommodate us in that regard. And that has been a bit of the situation this week, right? We we've talked a lot this year about what's going wrong with the Cardinals because there's so many things that you could talk about, but we've spent a lot of time on the starting pitching. And while the starting pitching, you know, might've had its bumps here and there this week, the fact that the Cardinals only scored like two and a half runs uh, on this West coast trip per game. Um, it's something of that nature. I mean, they scored that what 14 runs against Arizona before they went on the trip. I would have to add it up, but it's very possible. They didn't score that many on that whole 10 game stretch. Um, what is it with the offense that was supposed to be like one of the best in maybe Cardinal history hitting like the 2015 team? Yeah, I, I don't know. And I was, <laughs> I was having a talk with, uh, I was having a talk with my, my pastor this morning. Um, we were requesting some prayer for all of this, but he's a, <laughs> he's a Cardinals and Royals fan. And we were talking about how you'd add in, you know, you can combine the wins for the Missouri teams and you're still well behind the pirates in the central. If you did that, and we we're, we were trying to figure it out. And the, the thing we just came to, down to is that, you know what, we can try to explain this somehow, you know, we can talk about how, you know, bad luck with the balls in play and batting average on balls in play. We can talk about the starters not being what they should be. It just, you know, there's all these things that we can try to rationalize. And the fact is, you know, it, it doesn't make, sense like mm -hmm. it just it's confusing and typically when things get confusing people do one of two things one is they try to make sense of things or they try to rationalize it but you can't and then the other thing is you look for somebody to blame and that's a, you can put apply that to any situation in life when crazy things happen but people look for someone to blame when they don't understand what's going on and so it's like okay do we blame the players do we blame the coaches do we blame the front office and i think it comes down to yeah all of them, all of them have fault. And that makes it even more confusing. Like if you could blame just the front office because they didn't get starting pitching, then okay, at least we've got someone to point the finger at. Or if there were two guys in the lineup just not doing their job, okay, we got that. Or the manager's making terrible decisions and terrible bullpen decisions, sure. But no, this is like a perfect storm of all three being really, really bad. And then all the players for the most part being bad. 
I've stopped trying to make sense of it. I mean, I've got a few stats here and there that show that maybe they shouldn't be this bad. But honestly, I think at this point, I'm just saying the Cardinals are not a good team. I'm not ready to say they're a bad team, but I think they're not a good team and they're playing really bad baseball right now. And at this point, that's all I got. I I don't really have much more of an understanding because the roster turnover isn't that different from last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's it's crazy to think about the fact that this, I think it was after Saturday's game, and it's gotten then worse after today's game, that Fangraph's playoff odds now for the Cardinals are under 50%. I mean, again, they're not nothing. That doesn't mean that the Cardinals can't make the playoffs or anything like that. But this early in the season, I mean, especially for a Cardinals team, they should be having 75, 80% chances of getting to the playoffs, right? I mean, and then we're not talking about winning the division. We're talking about the playoffs, the playoffs that just about everybody makes nowadays with this expanded um, postseason that we have. Um, and yet the Cardinals sit at this moment, six games behind the last wild card spot. They are, what, a game and a half, two games behind, um, well, two and a half games behind the Reds for fourth place. Um, it's the it's early phase phase of the game is kind of over, right? I mean, you're a month into the season. You're almost twenty percent of the way through the schedule. I don't think you can just say it's early and things are going to be okay. Um, you know, you you think back to the the Nationals of nineteen when they went nineteen and thirty one. They kicked it in. You know, could this team do that? I think it's possible because this team has the talent to be a much better team. But figuring out when that's going to happen and how they're going to do it, I I don't know because there feels like something's got to give, but I don't know what it is or when it's going to be. I, I, I yeah, we're I think we're all just kind of lost for words here. Yeah, and I remember, uh, well, for one thing, like you said, it, this is no longer small sample size. Um, mm-hmm. Ten games into this season was small sample size. We've, we're beyond that now. We're into danger zone. Like, this is this is troublesome. I heard, it was about three weeks ago, I heard Adam Wainwright doing his uh, weekly segment on the morning drive, and he talked about how just there were some adjustments the pitching staff was having to go through, you know, warm weather to cold weather and things like that. And he said that this staff is going to be fine. Um, he said, you know, just be patient. And, but what he said was then he said, now, if in three weeks, we're still having the same conversation, then yeah, there is an issue. But he said, you know, just have patience, blah, blah, blah. And I had listened to that. And I was like, okay, I hope he's right. Well, here we are three weeks later and nothing has improved. We're still seeing the same exact issues. And I thought, you know, when he said that he probably thought in his head, I have no doubt that in three weeks things are going to have turned around. Well, they haven't. Mm -hmm. And in some cases they've gotten worse. And which tells me that even befuddles the players and what's going on. Uh, But it it just does not look good. And there's not much of a sign of life anywhere. Now you could look at Jordan Montgomery's outing against the Dodgers and go, he was really, really good. But if the offense doesn't put up runs, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go seven innings, six innings, whatever, and give up one run. But if your offense puts up zero, then forget about it. It doesn't matter. And one thing that I think is hurting this team, and it, and I know I'm going to sound like I'm being facetious when I'm asking this, but 
but I'm genuinely asking this because at this point, I'm like I said, I have no more answers. Why are other teams able to throw 12 pitches and get out of the first inning? And it seems like every single Cardinal starter is taking 25 to 30 pitches to get out of the first. And many times either they give up the lead or they've, the Cardinals have the lead and they've given the runs back. I, I don't know. Is, is this a Cardinals pitchers thing? Is this a dusty Blake approach thing? I don't understand it because I, but I feel like every single first inning they're throwing at least 20 pitches. They're walking guys they are putting guys on They're in dangerous situations. And then their outings are shortened. What is happening? I, I don't know. I mean, you're right. If it's, if it's being consistently being done, it's, it starts to feel like it is definitely a approach type of thing instead of a individual type of thing. Um, but, you know, again, I feel like, I feel like this organization and the coaching staff is smart enough to figure out that if this isn't working, then let's do something else. Now, maybe not, maybe it's one of those trust the process type of things that, Yes, this is not looking good now, but it's going to turn around, you know, because I don't think we want, you know, a lot of, you know, knee jerk reactions. But I also think that, again, we're a month in and and I think the data should be getting to the point where, no, this isn't working. Let's try something else. Um, You know, Jordan Montgomery has four quality starts, uh, two of those at least. I think he's taken a loss in. I mean, that's I mean, that's saying it's something right there. And then, you know, Jack Flaherty has one. Miles Michaelis has one. That's it. That's all we're seeing. Out of, out of you know, 29 games, six of them have been quality starts. And even then, you're not winning ball games. Um, I, I, you know, again, I don't know. I just feel like we've come to the end of March. We've got an off day tomorrow. Uh, the Cardinals do before a homestand, uh, a big homestand against the Angels, and I'd have to look at the rest. Um, it does feel like this is a situation where in the past we've seen some shuffling. We've seen some, you know, some sort of jolt. Whether it's, I don't I don't know if it's, I, I would think it would be more than just them announcing that Adam Wainwright's going to take his next start and Jake Woodford's going to be sent down and, you know, bring up somebody. Um, but I don't know what else it is, right? Because and we'll get to the Jordan Walker stuff and things like that, but just trying, I think more than anything right now, they're trying to find that consistency and adding more people to the mix may not be any more helpful. Yeah, I we've talked throughout the week about this and something that I've asked you, I think it was starting about two weeks ago and and people I'm going to this is me overreacting, but I asked like it I asked you, at what point do we see guys like coaches, maybe someone assistant hitting coach, assistant pitching coach, somebody like that get fired or do we see a hitting coach, a pitching coach? I don't think they're going to fire Marmol at this point. Um Mm -hmm. I think you're going to hear if this doesn't improve, you're going to hear cries maybe from the media, especially from the fan base, but you don't want to be that organization that kind of surprisingly fired Mike, Mike Schilt. And then you fire your next coach less than a year and a half into the job. Like it, then it starts looking like a toxic workplace. So that's not happening. You're not firing Mo 
because you just gave him this extension. And for the most part, Mo has done pretty well. And on paper, this team, yes, we knew the pitching was going to be a struggle, but this team should be better. But I just wonder, yes, do we start to see somebody be the scapegoat initially for them to do something just to do something? Now, the DeWitts are typically not those types of people, but I wonder if we see something like that, or do we potentially see a trade of some sort? Um, Katie Wu was on the radio this week, and she mentioned a couple times about, and like you mentioned, we'll talk about Walker in a little bit, but even now the Cardinals could still move an outfielder to kind of get a true feel of who their three outfielders are. So they're still not shuffling through and rotating guys like they are. So could we see somebody be on the move? And then like you mentioned with the pitching, I, I'm, I'm nervous about Adam Wainwright coming back because his AAA numbers have been basically what Jake Woodford and Miles Michaelis's major league numbers have been. And so I, I don't feel like we're getting a jolt into the rotation. I think Right now, if you wanted that jolt, you're either going to have to make a trade or maybe it's Matthew Liebertor coming up. But I, I'm a little worried that we put Adam Wainwright back in there, whose fastball's topping out at 89, and we're right back here all over again. It's possible. I will say I watched some of Wainwright start today uh, from, from Memphis against Durham. And, you know, he gave up a three-run home run, but I want to say at least one of those runners reached on a uh, – either an error or some play that was a little bit weird. Um, and for the most part, he looked pretty good. I mean, again, he's facing AAA hitters. He wasn't necessarily facing anything. And you're right, at 89, that's a little bit iffy. But I have seen Adam Wainwright win games when he's pitching a high of like 75. So um, I would trust him on that stuff more than maybe Jake Woodford. But the upgrade is not necessarily significant. I, I will grant you that for sure. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, is this where they go, okay, we're going to let Adam Wainwright take the spot for Jake Woodford, but then we're going to move Stephen Matz to the bullpen and let um, Matthew Liebertor take this right. I don't know. I'd have to go look at how matchups. So I don't remember when Liebertor pitched last. And I know Matz is online to pitch on Tuesday night, but, you know, do they shuffle a few things around and, and, and do that? Um, you know, Juan Yepes is hitting well in Memphis, but, you know, they just sent Jordan Walker down because of, of roster issues. So, I, you know, how does that work out? I'm kind of with you. I've I've said once, uh, pretty much ever since they sent Walker down, that, that we will probably see a trade in the next couple of weeks, even if it's just an, an outfielder for a, a good prospect, um, something that doesn't necessarily help the team this year. But it frees the spot because I don't think they want Jordan Walker playing in Memphis too terribly long, but I don't think they bring him back up until that spot is available that he can play every day and not feel like somebody's resting away on the bench. So, you know, maybe all that starts to come into, into phase, you know, starting tomorrow, maybe there's some sort of shuffling. I, I don't know, but it really feels like this team needs some sort of spark, right? I mean, because it even, I mean, this Dodgers series, they didn't even win the last game of the series, right? I mean, they mm. were at least been able to do that at times. So, you know, the bats show up for the last game or whatever. They weren't even able to do that um, today. And so you look at, you know, the, Nolan Arenado is looking terrible, which is really surprising. Um, 
uh, trying to get all this, you know, I don't know how much the outfield situation is, you know, because of people not playing or whatever the case may be. And maybe that's the other thing. It's Ollie comes out Monday or Tuesday and says, okay, this is our outfield. And, you know, Dylan Carlson's going to play center field and, you know, O'Neill's going to play left and Burleson or Newt Bar's going to play there at right. And, um, Burleson's going to just find his times here and there, but he's just going to have to, I mean, I know they don't want to do that, but I think they're going to have to kind of get a little bit more consistency on these guys, because I think that may be part of what the problem is, is players just aren't settling into some of those roles. Yeah, I completely agree. When you don't know if you're playing every day or what day you're going to play or what your role is going to be, or if you're going into the seventh, there's a pinch runner. It, it's tough to keep that focus. And there are even analytics that show that guys hit better when they start rather than when they come off the bench. And you need guys to see get those regular reps. I think right now, and I know I sound like the biggest like president of the Dylan Carlson fan club on this podcast. I promise <laughs> I have not been like just in love with Dylan, Dylan Carlson my whole life or anything, but I, I think he is still being undervalued by this team. We saw Lars Newtbar drop a very pivotal line drive in the outfield earlier this week, maybe because he thought he was going to crash into Burleson. I don't know, but it should have been caught you contrast that to the way Dylan Carlson's played center field in the last couple of days. And it shows me he should be the starting center fielder. He should be playing center field every single game, unless he is hurt or unless he is having just an off day, he does not need to be playing or starting once every four games, put him in center field, make him an anchor of that defense in the outfield and let him hit. Then you put the guys around him. Uh, but right now they need to have that staple out there. They don't need to put Newton center. They don't need to put O'Neill in center, put Carlson in center, let that be his position. And then you can fill in around him. Then, like you said, that's kind of when they have to determine, okay, do we just go with those three, which it would be similar to the three that they had to end last year. And it worked out. Okay. Um, but see what happens now. The none of their batting averages look good right now. Now, if you look at on-base percentage, Newt is up there. Um, he is doing a lot better. Burleson is struggling right now. He hit that home run the other day in San Francisco, but he's struggling. O'Neill's struggling. Carlson has looked a little bit better at times. I'll give him credit for something today. He hit a sack fly that got a run in and gave the Cardinals the lead. And I thought, you know what? We have not seen that much at all this season. Someone doing yeah. the small things, the little things, the right things, just get that run in. Uh, rather than guys trying to hit a three-run homer with nobody on base. Um, there's a Mike Shannon quote there, too, if you <laughs> look too far into yep. that. Um, but that's what I feel like has been going on. I, I do want to bring up Walker. I feel like that was like three weeks ago, but it wasn't. How did you feel about that demotion? Because that was a very controversial topic. Yeah, it was. Look, I think that there's a strong case for Jordan Walker staying in the major leagues. Um, but I also think that a lot of the arguments that we made in spring training about why he wasn't going to make the team were still applicable and probably played into him getting that, you know, that sent that trip to Memphis. Um, you know, it's letting him figure out how to play the outfield. It's letting him, make whatever little adjustments to try to hit the ball in the air a little bit more. 
But I also think it was less about him and more about figuring out how to do the roster. They were having trouble managing five outfielders. Um, and the fact that the team was, you know, 10 and 17 or whatever it was at the time, and they couldn't afford to let him figure out outfield on the fly. Uh, you know, if the team was 14 and eight, then they probably let him, you know, stay, keep him up here. But with the team struggling, it's, it's a lot like back when Colt Wong was coming up and he would play and then they'd wind up sending him to Memphis because yeah, he was struggling, but everybody else was struggling too. And they just couldn't afford to let him learn on the job while, while the rest of the offense was sputtering along. Um, why they thought Mark Ellis would be better. I don't know, but that's <laughs> another story. Um, and I feel like Walker kind of got, you know, was a victim of circumstances beyond his control with this demotion. I mean, granted, again, he does have some things to work on, but in different situations, and in, in he's exactly the same, he probably stays in the major leagues. What, what did you think? Yeah, I was actually in favor of the move. I know that the Cardinals got killed on radio and social media. Mm. I thought it was the right move. Uh, you could see in his recent at-bats, just things did not quite look the same. And really, the last half of spring training, even into the season, things just looked a little off. Uh, his his launch angle on his swing just wasn't there. He was hitting the ball hard, but he was hitting it on the ground. And he's a guy that he needs to get some lift. He needs to drive the ball. We were not seeing him hit it into gaps. We were not sitting, seeing him hit the ball out of the park. Uh, his defense, you know, he's 20 years old. He's never played in these ballparks before. I get it. His defense isn't going to be gold glove worthy right now, <laughs> but he was struggling. I think he may have been like minus five defensive runs saved. Now, part of that is you put the guy in left field in spring training and put him in right field when the season starts. And I don't know why he's, that's happening, but yeah. I think that, yeah, this is the best move. The people that are out there screaming, oh, they're going to retool his swing. They're going to mess up his swing. They're going to mess him up. No, that's not what's happening here. They're trying mm-hmm. to get him back to the way he was swinging and hitting the ball when he was in double A last year. They're just trying to get that lift back in or that drive back in there that has just gotten off a little bit with his mechanics. They're not retooling his whole swing, putting him in a lab and just saying, let's bring out a different player. So I think this is what's best for him. Let him learn the outfield a little bit more, you know, get get an idea on reads and jumps and things like that. And also start re, not retooling. I shouldn't say that, but start fixing that swing just a little bit to get the ball more in the air. So I, I actually agree with it. Now, Modder coming up, I don't know. But Jordan Walker is going to be fine. Uh, this is this is a short term thing. Uh, you know, I don't care if he goes over his next twenty in Memphis. This is he's going to be fine. This is a short term thing. Mm-hmm. But I agree with what you said. Several years ago, there was a point where the Cardinals had a bunch of their top prospects in Double A, and they had a choice about moving them to Memphis at the end of the year, or keeping them in Double A. Well, Double A team in Springfield, they were in like a playoff hunt. The Memphis team right. was historically bad, and the front office kind of let it slip that they wanted their guys to stay one level below, but stay in competitive baseball rather than bring them up to a Memphis team that had basically packed it in for the year. I I think some of that plays a role here too. If the Cardinals are sitting in first place, now maybe that makes it easier to send them down and let them learn, but I think maybe he's still with the team at that point. But yeah, you you don't want him just to stay around that losing mentality And, and kind of going along with that, like watching this team right now, they don't look like they're having any fun. Like I see these other teams with their celebrations after home runs and stuff. The Cardinals, 
I don't know if they know what a home run is, but mm. you know, even when something good happens, you don't see guys other than maybe Cabrera who still has his moves, but, <laughs> uh, which I do love. You don't, these guys just don't look like they're having a lot of fun. And, um, I don't think it's that they don't care. I think it's, they probably care too much. This is a group of guys that I think they are really, really down on themselves. It's not a lackadaisical approach or anything like that. I think they are really hard on themselves and really down on themselves. And I don't think they're allowing themselves to have fun out there because they are losing. So full circle, you know, you may not want Jordan Walker to be around that right now, but things start improving. You start getting his swing back to where it needs to be. Yeah. Maybe he's back there in the outfield or maybe he's in a DH role soon. Yeah, I, I I think that's probably true. Like I said, I'm I'm not as worried about that. And as for Motter, I you know, he hasn't played since the whole debacle of him DF being DFA'd and then coming back up when they send down Walker. He hasn't played in quite some time now. But I just I just don't know that it matters. You know, Jeff Jones or I think it was Jeff Jones was talking about how the Cardinals and this fan have, you know, elected to basically play a man down uh, because they're not using Motter. And that's that's, some, that's fair to say, but I also think that in this era of the DH, you know, you're only pinch hitting maybe once a game, maybe not that. You don't, I'm still not 100% sold on the fact that you need a deep bench, um, you know, for injuries and things like that. And there are times where you might want to play, you know, lefty versus righty or something of that nature. But the bats that they have that aren't playing seem to be good enough that, you know, whoever that 13th man on the bench is going to be, they're not going to see a whole lot. You could bring a Juan Yepes up, but is he going to play any more than, than modern? I don't know. And then you're complaining about why he isn't playing. And, if he is playing, then you're back in the whole same situation that you had when you sent Jordan Walker down when you have five outfielders because Yepes is probably not going to play a whole lot on the corners. Um, so, you know, again, the Cardinals have kind of painted themselves into a position with the bodies that they have in the organization and the fact that they have 800 outfielders and, you know, nobody else that can play, uh, play this game. So I, I don't know. I... I, I, that's again why I feel like they're going to have to make a move and they're going to have to make a move like a trade a lot earlier than their, you know, even mid-July when that, you know, a mid-July trade used to feel like, wow, John Moselock's getting excited now. You know, no, I don't, I don't think they can go in this kind of roster configuration. Like I said, I, I definitely don't think they can go to the end of May and I'm not sure they can go to the middle of May without addressing it in some form or fashion um, more than just swapping people between St. Louis and Memphis. Yeah. Well, if the Cardinals had surprised us by how bad they were playing or by bringing Taylor Motter up, I think the big thing, if they were going to blow people's minds was saying, you know, just wait a second, we're going to put Taylor Motter and Paul DeYoung on the same <laughs> roster. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Uh, and I will say Paul DeYoung has been a nice surprise, but yeah, we, we were pretty much, sure that that those guys would just be swapping for each other when one of them was hurt and now we see that they're up there playing together right now because of what's going on and yeah i um, I, I again I, I don't know what's going on i don't know what's going on through their heads i don't know what's going on in the locker room right now i but yeah having 26 guys on the roster having the dh you can play 
a man down. I, I don't feel like it's even playing a man down. I mean, let's not make it sound like it's soccer where a guy got a red card mm. and you have to go off. And that's how some people like view it sometimes when you don't use a guy on your bench or don't use a guy in your bullpen. That's not what's happening here. I mean, this guy is able to play if you need him to. But right now they've got to get some rhythm and routine for the people that are there. Yeah, and I really, you know, again, if, if Major League Baseball didn't have this idea that you have to split at, at minimum have 13 hitters, I think the Cardinals would go 12 hitters and 14 pitchers and, you know, try to figure it out from there. Maybe they would go to a six-man rotation or or something of that nature. I, I don't know. But I do feel like they're going to have to do something and, and do something. So I, I feel like there'll be some news this week that um, will shake them around a little bit. Tatis could make it an 11 run inning here in the third. Cardinals have already scored seven. In the pitch, the runners go 3-2 Tatis. Swing and a long one. There it is, folks. Baseball history. A second grand slam home run for Fernando Tatis in the third inning in Los Angeles, California. And the Cardinals lead it to 11 to two. Wow. Get those record books out, folks. The date, April the 23rd, 1999, and we've just seen Fernando Tatis hit two Grand Slam home runs off of Chan Ho Park in the third inning, a hanging slider, and the fans here at Dodger Stadium are giving him a standing ovation. Wow. Um, and maybe, maybe all they need, I don't know, it's all they need. But one thing that would help a whole lot is if Nolan Arenado could figure out mm. that it's maybe think it's 2022 again. I, I am baffled by what's going on with Nolan. And again, like you said, if anybody in that dugout cares, it's Nolan Arenado, who is definitely going to probably care too much. And it, maybe this is a bit more of a, you know, a downward spiral of pressing too much to try to do better and then not doing better. So he's pressing too much, that kind of thing. I don't know what the situation is, but this is, you know, is, I don't want to say it's as easy as, you know, Goldie and Arnauto hitting at the same time, but that would make a whole lot of difference. It definitely would. I think it, well, if fans are frustrated with his hitting right now, I can guarantee you he's 10 times more frustrated. Uh, Brooke Grimsley made the comment, I guess there was a video that after they had beaten C, uh, or beaten San Francisco, that the team were kind of high-fiving and he, he looked like he was just still frustrated, like he was upset with himself. Mm-hmm. Not that he was yeah. mad at the team, but he was down on himself. You know, he's one of those guys, he's such a competitor that I think sometimes the striving to be perfect can kind of be the enemy of excellence. I, you know, I, I love having his defense there because he, he has not let that go. That's one thing you love about him. He's not taking his bat out into the field with him. But if they need to give him two or three games off to clear his head or to get back in the cage and to kind of figure some things out, I'm all for it because this is a guy that you want to get right. Because when he's right, him and Goldie together can carry that entire ball club. So maybe maybe you do play modern a little bit, or maybe you put Gorman over there and let Gorman play some third base and get some reps there and just give Arenado just a couple games off. You know, he'll get the day off tomorrow. Give him a couple days off just to kind of rest, clear his head and figure something out. Cause he looks like he's guessing. He looks like he's in between. 
but we know what kind of force this guy can be. And, you know, there's that part of me, just the fan that wants to be like, what's wrong with you? You know, get it together. But you know <laughs> what? He, it's not like he's doing this on purpose. Like right. this guy is an all-star. This guy is a future hall of famer. It's going to come back. He's just having to try to figure that out right now. And so, yeah, whatever needs to be done, let him take that time to do what he needs to do to get right. Because once he gets right, this, he, he can turn the ball club around. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But uh, well, again, you just know it's been a rough week when Paul DeYoung's probably your best hitter. And um, Jordan Hicks is your best pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty, that's pretty remarkable. I, I mean, and I think that's maybe a little bit of a glimmer of hope, right? Because all of us were at least expecting him to be demoted, uh, you know, three weeks, two weeks ago. And the Cardinals, you know, I think they wanted to, but he didn't allow them and that's fine. Um, but they said, okay, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. And, you know, it took three or four, um, you know, I had a two or three garbage inning times where he threw scoreless innings. And then, you know, they, I don't know if they pronounced him fixed or just had to find out if he was and throw him in against Mookie Betts in a one run game. And he came through. And so, you know, if, if Jordan Hicks is a little bit more like the Jordan Hicks that we expected, you know, that's not only encouraging sign for him and for the bullpen, but maybe it's an encouraging sign that this team at least has a good idea of what's supposed to happen and, and is going to have a little bit calmer head than some of us on Twitter, <laughs> um, which I mean, hard to believe that you're, you know, Twitter's not a, a calm place, but um, you know, maybe they know a thing or two that we don't. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I know they talked about possibly like where he moved on the mound a little bit or on the rubber and that kind of made the whole difference. Mm -hmm. And I, when I hear those things, I'm kind of like, maybe, or maybe not like that. That sounds good, but maybe there was something else going on and that's just what you're telling us. But either way, like I think his, his last seven games, the ERA is about like 2.8. Now his whip Mm -hmm. is still a little high, but he's minimizing the damage or completely shutting it down. And he's had some freak things against him too, where he's been unlucky. But yeah, you mentioned him facing Mookie Betts, like hit 103 down in the zone. Like Mookie didn't take the bat off his shoulder and he just gave this look like I can't touch that. Like th- that pitch is unhittable. And, and I thought, yeah, if he gets around on it, it's either going to be a ground ball right to one of the infielders or he's shattering his bat to a million pieces. And so that's the Jordan Hicks we need to see the guy that he looked like he was confident out there and he was going to go out there and he's like, I'm just going to strike you out. Uh, And one thing, one reason why that's really needed right now, if you look at the ERAs at the rest of the bullpen, they're so inflated right now. And if you showed me those ERAs three weeks ago, I'd say no way because these guys started off so great. Thompson, Mm -hmm. Verhagen, they looked awesome. And now their ERAs look terrible. And, I mean, part of that is, yes, they need to be a little bit better, but part of it is this bullpen is so taxed right now because the starters cannot go past five innings. And so these guys are being tasked with going out there and throwing way too many pitches. Whereas if they were throwing their normal allotment, I think we still see the ERAs in the twos and threes. But instead, we got four, fives, and sixes because they're throwing so many pitches. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's a large part of it as well. Um, and hopefully, you know, like I said, hopefully we can find, you know, whatever Jordan Montgomery is doing, he can figure out how to tell it to everybody else. 
you know, they had a good start out of Miles Michaelis this week, so maybe he's turning the corner. And Adam Wainwright comes back, and we'll see how long he can go, although it seems it seems unlikely we're going to see too many games of him going more than five innings. Um, but Adam Wainwright, if he hears me tell you that, will probably come over and, you know, throw seven innings in my backyard just to show me he can. So, And I'm fine um, with that. Please do. Right. That's right. You know, whatever we can do to, to motivate and get some good outings out of people, I guess we'll do it. So, And I think I did see today, was it nine strikeouts and only one yeah. walk? Yeah. Because the one walk is what I thought, okay, thank you, good. Because today, Jake Woodford walks two batters in an inning, and that's what put the Dodgers on the board and let them take the lead. And I thought, you know, you walk guys in this league, especially now when guys can steal bases so easily, they're going to come around and score. Stop walking batters. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, that's why I was really happy today to see Wainwright struck out nine. Um, so he did have some swing and miss stuff, but he only walked one. I thought that was pretty important. Yeah. The curveball was definitely working for him today. Um, and again, you know, again, maybe he's faced a triple A team talent, but the curveball, if the curveball's working at him right now, it's going to be able to pitch against anybody. Um, and, and it seemed to be today. Um, yeah, it, it really feels like Jake Woodford's done. I mean, I, for as good as he was in the spring, which, you know, again, pretty much you can go for anybody on this team, right? This team that won like 19 games in spring training um, and still hasn't won that many in the first month of the season. Um, you know, but, but whatever Jake Woodford was doing in the spring, it obviously has not translated into the regular season. And it feels like, yeah, he's going to get sent back down this week when, you know, whenever – it does, I don't can't imagine he's going to make another start, right? I mean, there's there's no way with Adam Wainwright coming back because he's going to be still here, right? Yeah, and I don't even know. I mean, even if it wasn't Wainwright, I think he's probably done. I like you said, it would kind of depend on maybe when Libertor his spot mm-hmm. comes up again. But yeah, I can't see what something's going to happen in the rotation. I mean, it could be Woodford and Mats that are going to the bullpen or who knows what happens um i think both of their stuff plays better in the bullpen but yeah we're we're gonna see some type of shakeup and <laughs> please be for the better yeah i i hope so well we will see so um like i said cardinals got the angels this week followed by the tigers um six games at home i gotta feel like if we're still talking about like one win this week uh, we could pack it up um, for this season because if you can't win, I mean, if you can't win, I, I'm not saying that you can't win against the Angels because the Angels, and I, I was on uh, Talking Halos today it's gonna, uh, on the podcast, will come out tomorrow, but, um, you know, they, they're a little bit frustrated with their team. It's it's inconsistent, It's but, you know, they're also above 500. So if you lose a series against the Angels, especially with Otani going in one of those games, you could understand it even though you'd like to win it. If you lose a series against the Tigers at home um, in this situation, um, you, you might want to start clearing bridges in St. Louis, just to be on the safe side. And I hate to say that because we saw what Al Hrabowski said this week, but it's not going to end well for this season, I think, if um, if the Tigers are, are winning series in St. Louis. Yeah, I I'm going to make a prediction. I think the Cardinals actually are over 500 this week, which that sounds like such a pitiful prediction. <laughs> um, like, you know, who would have thought that we would be thinking that, you know, that's a great thing. I, I think they actually, when we talk next week, 
I think they will have had their best week of this season. That's that's my prediction. Could be completely wrong, but I think they're going four and two this week. I, I hope so. And and this is probably the the week with the weakest um, competition so far. I mean, we thought that with the Rockies and Pirates, but then the Pirates have won twenty games, so obviously that wasn't quite the, the situation it was. Um, so when you look at it on paper, yeah, I mean this should be a week where they start turning things around. And then next week they go into Wrigley, uh, which is always interesting. And they go to Fenway um, before coming home for the Brewers and the Dodgers. So you've got to do something probably in the next couple of weeks, because that week, that next homestand is going to be, is going to be tough and probably going to be important. Yeah, definitely. The thing is, you know, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but when you look after that, Things do lighten up a little bit. You've got those series mm-hmm. at home, which you hopefully you take care of business at home. Then you've got Cincinnati. You know, it's hard to talk bad about any team right now that's ahead of the Cardinals, but right. traditionally Cincinnati has not been the best team. You've got Cleveland, who's under five hundred. You've got Kansas City, who's been really bad. Then you get to see the Pirates. Are the Pirates really who we think they are? And then after that come the Rangers. Uh, and and so I, there is a chance you see the Cardinals could possibly go on a run soon. I, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because when a team has been this bad, it's tough to predict it. But mm. I, I think the month of May could be a much, much better month. It, it can't be much worse. I mean, I guess it could be, but it, it can't be much worse. But I, I think we're, as long as there's not like some type of cancer in the clubhouse or something like that, that's just tearing mm-hmm. this team apart. Uh, I think we may see things start turning around. Now I don't think they're going to win 17 in a row, but I'm, I'm going to go optimistic here for the first time in a long time and say that I think we're going to see a turning point soon. Well, and if they want to win 17 in a row, I'm not going to stop them. So, um, but I'm fine with that if they if they want to. I mean, just even 16. I think we'd be okay with that. Not ideal, but sure. Yeah. I mean, sadly, they still probably wouldn't be in first place <laughs> after a 16 game win streak. But take it. So we'll see. Hopefully, we're talking a little bit more positively next week um, about things. But until then, for David, I'm Daniel. Good night. Get up, baby. Right now. Their leading hitter all time against the Cardinals in postseason play at the plate. Beltron has murdered Cardinal pitching over the last two postseasons that he's played against them. Here tonight, he has doubled and scored. He's flied to left. He's grounded out and he's walked. Bases loaded, two out. Cardinals up by two in the pitch. Fastball, Steve Wright ball. Beltron during the regular season with 41 home runs had 116 runs batted in. He has three home runs in this series. He's at the plate with the bases loaded, a two down, the pitch. Curveball swinging a tap foul, and the Cardinals are one strike away from going to Detroit and the 2006 World Series. Adam Wainwright gets a new baseball. Rubs it up, stands on, looks in with the bases loaded, two out. Cardinals leading three to one here in the bottom of the ninth inning. 
One of the most dangerous hitters in the business at the plate, Carlos Beltran. He is ready. So is Wainwright. The 0-2 delivery. Curve struck him out looking. The Cardinals are going to Michigan to take on the Tigers. They mob, they mob Adam Wainwright on the mound. They are National League champions and headed for Detroit as they mob the pitcher. And now Yadier Molina. In comes the bullpenners to a pile on. The Cardinals have won this game 3-1 on a two-run home run by their catcher, Yadier Molina. And they're still out on the uh, infield celebrating. What, what a ball game this has been.